It is 9.15. All right. Um, so the first thing we'll do is uh, we will have Jay and Anna publicly demonstrate their ability to work together. And they're going to hand these out. Uh, so everybody make sure that you have one. Uh, there's two of them. So there's one for Anna. If you could hand those out to everybody. Whoa. All right, cool. Uh, Anna's going to hand those out, make sure everybody has one. And then Jay is going to show what he's worth and hand those out. Um, and if you're, uh, I don't like paper, or I don't have a pen, there's a PDF version on the, the Grow uh, post that I made last night. All right, so Bible arcing. Uh, what we're going to do is this is the first of six lessons where you're going to learn a Bible study method called Bible arcing. Uh, this has been one of the most fruitful things I've ever learned in my Christian journey uh, because it has changed the way that I read, not just the Bible, but especially the Bible, to try to uncover the author's meaning. So that's what we're going to do. Let me give you a, a brief glimpse at what we'll be doing over those six weeks. So week number one is Bible arcing. What is it? That's today. We're going to arc verse by verse through all of Romans 8. So by the time we get through Romans 8, you will have gone through every single verse and asked, how does this verse fit within the larger structure of the chapter? And therefore, what is the main point and the main idea behind what Romans 8 is teaching? So we'll start this week with just what is arcing. Each week, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some instruction during Grow. Then you'll have a handout like the thing that Jay has so dutifully distributed. If you're just coming in, there's handouts up front. There's one of a cheat sheet that's got a bunch of pretty colors, and one of them that looks like a big loop uh, with Romans broken down into it. So each week you're going to get instruction during grow. Throughout the week, what I want you to do is I want you to stumble forward in trying to actually apply what you're learning to Romans 8. It's going to be really humbling. Then what we'll do the following grow is I'll give you a little bit more instruction and we'll actually go through and arc it together. So if you really, really want to learn this method that really will change your life, um, what I want you to do is really try to just take a stab at it throughout the week. Come in having thought through it. It'll take a little bit of time, but like anything, as you've done it with a little bit of repetition, uh, it'll get easier. All right, so what we've provided up front, like I said, are these two materials. It's probably not the easiest thing to see, but you want to make sure if you're coming in or if you're sitting that you have one of each of these because you'll need it as we're working through this. One of them is a cheat sheet. One of them is a breakdown of Romans 8, 1 through 4, not 14. Um, and both of these are going to be helpful throughout uh, the cheat sheet throughout the whole course, Romans 8, 1 through 4, just for this week, and then you'll bring that next week, having taken a stab at it. Uh, I'll also make sure that, as of right now, there are already digital copies. So, oh, hold on, let me back up, make sure I go through each of these. All right, so this week we're going to go over what is arcing. 
Next week, we're not going to learn anything new. We're just going to review everything that we did this week because it's going to be a lot and your head's going to hurt. But we'll also walk through that little piece of paper in front of you, Romans 8, 1 through 4, and we'll actually arc it together. The next week, you'll work on Romans 8, 5 through 17 and bring that to the 15th where we'll go a little bit deeper into how do propositions work. What is a proposition and how do you define them? It's just a fancy word for idea. Then we'll go through conjunctions. How do we identify the different conjunctions between sentences and what they tell us about the author's meaning? The next thing we'll do is we'll go, all right, how do we find the main point of the text? Because what we want to do is submit ourselves to the author's main point, not identify our favorite point and then drill all of our attention into that. So what are the signposts within a particular argument that an author is making that we can go, this is his main point and this is how I know. And then the last bit is we're just going to dig a little bit deeper. And at that point, we'll get all the way to Romans 8, 31 through 39. And then we'll back out and apply all of these concepts to the whole passage. And you'll be able to stand back having taken apart Romans and put it back together, Romans chapter 8. And you will be able to, you'll, you'll be shocked by how much of the passage with zero effort you've already memorized just by having taken it apart and put it back together again over and over again. So that's what we're doing. And so today is the first lesson, what is arcing? So here are my goals. My goals are by the end of this. Can you read this? Is that font color just abusive? Okay. All right. So we'll change that, and I'll try my best to read it. I would put the slides on Grove, but there's like a quiz at the end, and then you'll just cheat and look at the answers. So uh, by the end of the lesson, these are my goals. Just put these in your brain and go, this is what I want to be able to do 30 minutes from now. That way you will feel successful even though you're a little bit in the fog. One, you'll be able to explain what arcing is and the two-step process that arcing is. It's just a two-step process. The second thing is that you'll be able to read that pretty little sheet, the 18 uh, logical relationships. You'll be able to read that sheet. That's my goal, just to be able to read it, know what it means. And then the last one is that you'll be able to attempt your first arc. So that's my goal, and that's the Romans 8, 1 through 4. Just attempt it. Not get it right, just attempt it. This is getting on the bike and falling down. So to give you an idea, when it comes to the amount of new material you're going to get on a week-by-week -week basis, today is brutal, okay? Today is brutal. This week is where you get all of the material, and then we slowly refine the concepts in the later weeks. But there's a reason we're doing this. The reason we're approaching it this way is to get you into the text immediately and let you just slowly practice. If you've ever tried to learn a language, and to some extent this is a little bit like that, the best thing you could do is to try to speak it. And what you'll experience is what's called a fog, right? You'll learn all this stuff, it's not gonna make a ton of sense, and every single week you're gonna be tempted to be discouraged because you're gonna feel like it's always hazy. But what you'll take for granted is there will be things next week that make more sense to you than they do today. And that'll continue to happen. You'll feel like you're constantly in the fog, but there'll be more and more things that are clearer to you through practice than the way they were previously. So this is going to require a ton of humility for these six courses or six lessons. But if you'll do that, it's going to repay you for the rest of your life. Okay? So power through the fog, 
be humble, just keep going, keep trying. And remember those three objectives. All right, so let's talk about it. What is arcing? Arcing is a graphical, which means you see it with your eyes, graphical Bible study tool for display, for following and displaying the author's flow of thought through a text. So that up there looks like a bunch of nonsense, gobbledygook. That's going to make sense to you by the end of this. You're going to at least understand what's going on. It's a graphical Bible study tool for following and displaying the author's flow of thought. Um, what arcing is going to force you to do, and you'll see this through the two-step process, is to break a text down into all of its individual ideas and then ask, what do each of those ideas, how do they relate to each other? And then you're tracing the author's flow of thought through it. So, let me give you an example why this is helpful. Uh, this is from my uh, daughter's birthday over the weekend. She got a Lego set. And you've probably heard, being uh, a Grace Church member, that context is king. When we're trying to understand something, we say context is king. What does that verse mean? Well, look at the context. All right, but the question is, what do we mean by that? Context is king. So, for example, uh, this little blue piece that's sitting down there in the jumbled up pieces that are all disassembled, when I say context is king, how do I understand that blue piece? Do I just look at it in isolation so that it looks like a little bit like a pot lid or maybe a trash can lid or a shield? Is context king in that way? Or is context king where, no, I got to look at the stuff around it. So let me look at all the pieces around it and see how many blue ones there are versus yellow ones. Or how many round ones there are. I'm just comparing all the little isolated pieces. Is that what we mean by context is king? It's not. In order to properly understand the blue piece, we need to see how it fits within the larger structure. What's its role? What's it doing within the larger structure that's being built here? So, if you're curious, this is what she built. It's like a little birdhouse, and the little blue round disc was the bird feeder, right? So to understand the bird feeder, I need to be able to see the whole structure in order to make sense of what that piece is. This is what we mean by context is king. That when authors say things, and we want to understand that verse, we don't just compare it to all the little words around it. Those things are helpful. The most important thing is to understand how it fits within the structure, right? And you've probably experienced this, right? If I was talking to my boss, or I was talking to my wife, I said, my boss told me today, you're a genius. What was he saying around that? What, how did that fit within the larger context of what he was saying? He could be saying, you idiot. He could be saying, well done. How does it fit within the larger flow of thought? And so this is something from a little booklet that John Piper wrote. I remember where I was. We didn't have any kids yet. We were sitting in our, uh, one of our first apartments. This is a 34-page booklet. I would so encourage you to read it. I'll post it afterwards. It's so good. It goes over this whole method. But this is what he said. The point of seeing propositions, propositions being something that proposes an idea. So just 
for now, to swap out the word idea. The point of seeing ideas in relationship to each other is not merely to elucidate the meaning of each individual idea, but also to help us grasp the author's argument. This is the phrase. It was a life-changing revelation to me when I discovered that Paul, for example, did not merely make a collection of divine pronouncements, not just a collection of divine pronouncements, but he argued. This meant for me a whole new approach to Bible reading. No longer did I just read or memorize verses. I sought to understand and memorize arguments. This involved finding the main point of each literary unit and then seeing how each proposition fit together to unfold and support the main point. So I want to ask you, like, when you read a verse and you memorize it, like, ooh, that's helpful, right? Have you ever argued with yourself for why you are justified in Christ using Paul's arguments or merely volleyed verses? Have you ever thought through some of Paul's arguments in Galatians? when you're making through a decision. So that's what we're trying to do. We're, we, want to, we want to argue with God's logic as we try to think through the world, and so being able to trace the argument is helpful. All right, so how do we arc? It's two steps. It's challenging, but it's simple. It's two steps. If what we're trying to do is see how all the ideas relate to each other to support the main point, then the first thing we have to do is, step one, break the passage down into propositions. So you'll see I started with a verse up there, Romans 1.16, and then I broke it down into the four ideas that are in that. Don't worry about this part. You'll look at your little white sheet down there. I've done all this for you this week. I'll do it all for you the next week. And then on the third time, we'll then get into propositions and how you do it. Right now, we're going to focus on step two. But step one, we break a passage down into its individual ideas. Then we label how those ideas relate to each other. So you see this, this little P right here? That is a label that indicates how this idea, oop, go back, and this idea relate to each other. So here's an idea, has a little arc. Here's an idea, it has a little arc. And then I put an arc around it and put a label that indicates how they relate to each other. That's step two, and that's where we're gonna spend the next two weeks. That's what the little colorful sheet in front of you is, is it's explaining to you all the different relationships and the labels that come with it. There are 18. But what I want you to do is just stop and think through how, think through these things. Even if you don't get it, just try to follow along, right? How they all logically work together. All right, so what I wanna do is I just want to show you how to read this sheet so that you can think through the different ways two ideas can relate to one another. All right, that's our goal. 18 logical relationships that all have their individual label. So if you want, take that logical relationships cheat sheet and just look at it, keep it in front of you, ignore the other piece of paper for now. All right, when it comes to logical relationships between two ideas, there are essentially two types. There's coordinate relationships where neither idea supports the other. There's basically three of those, and on your sheet, they're all the ones in the green on the top left. 
the rest of the relationships are explaining how one idea can support another idea. So, for example, I read a book and took a nap. Those are two ideas, and neither one of them support each other, right? Does that make sense? I read a book. I took a nap. Those are two independent ideas. And, and the, uh, that's right. And the word and is a conjunction. It tells me how those two ideas work together. It's kind of like a signpost, right? If I said, I read a book and therefore took a nap, that's a new signpost. And that changes the way those two work together. Now, one of them is supporting or explaining the other idea. So let's look at this other sentence. I took a nap because I was tired. I took a nap. I was tired. I was tired explains why I took a nap. It supports it with additional information. And that little conjunction because explains how. It's saying this is explaining the reason I took a nap, because. So the main idea is I took a nap. I was tired is explaining why. You're like, man, I left school a long time ago. <laughs> but just keep up, remember? This is the fog. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk through all 18 of these relationships on that sheet in front of you. I'm going to try to power through it pretty quickly. And I just want you to think, does that make sense? Don't try to memorize them. Don't try to be able to rename all of them later. You just want to be able to navigate the sheet, does that make sense? All right, so we'll start with coordinate relationships first where two ideas, neither one of them support the other. All right, so the first one you'll see up at the top is called a series. So right here is the name of the relationship. It's a series. A series is where two ideas or multiple ideas make their own independent contribution to the whole. Think of like a list. That's why I put this little thing, like a list. A lot of times it'll use conjunctions like and, moreover, likewise, neither. So here's an example. Warning everyone, there's an idea, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Those are two ideas. They're independent, neither one supports the other. It's like a list. He's telling you I did this and I did this. Two independent ideas. Or look at this one down here. This is from our passage last week. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. None of those ideas support the other one. They're all making their own individual contribution, and that's how they relate to each other. And so in order to show that, I group them all together, and I put a little S in between each one of them. That means series. And so there's your label right there. All right, I, hold on. The next one is similar to series, but it's called a progression. A progression is where we're moving towards a climax. The easiest way to remember this is it's like a list, but the order matters, right? So that's where we use words like then, and, moreover, furthermore. So read this sentence and think about how it's different than a, than a list or a series. 
The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. You see how they're slowly progressing towards an end? You can't flip the order of those things and they still make sense. So this is called a progression. And it can be moving towards a temporal end or it can be moving towards a logical end or a climax. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, is an idea, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. None of those things support the other ones. There are a list of things that happen, but the order matters. And so it's progressing through it, and that's all indicated by the fact that you can't swap the order. Next one, this is the third and last of our coordinates. This is where we have two, this is called an alternative. It's identified with an A in between the two arcs. This is where they express two different possible outcomes. Think of it like a fork in the road. You could do this or you could do this. The Proverbs is full of them. The wise man does this. The fool does this. Two different directions, two different possible outcomes. So for example, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Here's another outcome. But whoever humbles himself, I'm sorry, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Those are two ideas. Neither one of them makes the other one true. And they describe two possible outcomes that are diverging in different directions. All right, now we're going to move through the subordinate ones. You guys are doing great. All right, now we're moving into the types of relationships in which one idea is supporting the other. Everything we just talked about in the first three, they're not supporting one another, but they are related. But neither one is supporting the other one, explaining how it's true or in what way. Now we'll move into ones that explain how or in what way that thing is true. These are called subordinate relationships. One thing is subordinated to the other. Think again about the illustration in which one idea is up on the chair, and the other idea is the chair supporting it. So the first one is called a ground. These are your because statements. So a statement and the argument or reason for, what, uh, for that statement. So a word you'll see all the time is because. So think about this. I am not ashamed of the gospel. You can, always see, you can almost see in this four, you, you can almost hear the word because. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The fact that it's the power of God for salvation is why he's not ashamed. It's supporting that idea. And so I put a little G right here to show that this thing that it's related to, it's supporting it. It's the ground. All right, the next one. An inference is the exact same thing, except for the reason comes first. So it's the same thing as ground, just the order flips. A statement in the argument and the reason the statement is true. So the conjunctions you look for is therefore. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Why should you be of sound judgment and sober spirit? Because the end of all things is near. It's explaining why you should do this thing. But in this case, the reason comes first. The supporting reason comes first. One of the other things you'll see now for the first time is that once we've connected individual ideas, 
we then start asking how do groups of ideas relate to each other. So these two things together are a series. You see that label? These two things are a series. The order doesn't matter. They're two independent contributions. Both are true. Be of sound judgment and be of sober spirit. Why should you do that? Because the end of all things is near. See how this can be helpful in tracing somebody's line of thought? And I'm just looking at signposts. Therefore, and. All right, let's move to the next one. A bilateral. This is going to require three ideas. Where the reason is sandwiched in the middle. And so I have a little BL in the middle that explains that it's the reason for the thing before it and the thing after it. This one's pretty rare. You don't use it a lot. Now this time, my husband will become attached to me. Attached being the Hebrew word that sounds like Levi. Now my husband will become attached to me. Why? Because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he was named Levi. So why will he be attached to me? And why will I name him Levi? Because I have borne him three sons. The reason is sandwiched into the middle. This is called a bilateral. Again, all you need to be able to do is just follow the cheat sheet. <laughs> all these don't have to make a ton of sense just yet. All right, the next one, now we're moving into cause and effect. Where one idea is the cause and the other idea is the effect. And, and the first one is an action and a result. An action and then a result that accompanies that action. So, for example, you see this whole group here. It's a progression. The man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. All of those things together is a progression. And they're all just one big action. And the result is so that they fled naked out of the house, wounded, right? So why did they do that? That was the effect of this action group up here. Action, the result of that action. A-C-R-E-S. Make sense? All right. The next one is like an action result, except for this time, the result is more about why, why you did something. It was the purpose behind that action. An action and its intended result. We use phrases like, in order that. I went to the store in order that I might buy milk. I went to the store as the action. Why did I do it? Well, there's a purpose behind it. I went to it in order that I might buy milk. I might buy milk is explaining the purpose for why I did the action. Same thing here. And he, him, oops, he himself, ah, and he himself bore our sins on his, in his body on the cross. Why did he do that? So that he might, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's an action purpose. All right. Conditionals. This is like if-then statements. If you do this, then, then this will happen. If-then. We use this all the time with our kids. Like action result, except the existence of the action is only a potential. If you clean up, then you can watch Bluey. If-then. Watching Bluey is only a potential, right? If over here. 
if you love me, you can feel the implied then, then you will keep my commandments. And the order can switch, right? You will keep my commandments if you love me. Still an if-then relationship, right? The order's just different. All right, let's move on to the next one. Temporal. It's exactly what it sounds like. There's one idea that explains when the other idea is true. When I was a child, that was a time, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. See all these progressions? They climax in the idea of reasoning. But, on the other hand, when I became a man, that's the time, I did away with childish things. You see those two time ideas there? When I was a man, I did away with childish things. When did you do away with childish things, Paul? When I was a man. When did you use to speak, think, and reason like a child? When I was a child. That's the temporal relationship. The next one is a, a locative relationship. This is the same thing as temporal, except for instead of when it's true, it's where it's true. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where will your heart be? Where your treasure is. Next one is action manner. There is an action, and then there are accompanying sentences that explain, or not sentences, ideas that explain the manner in which that action was done. Think more like adverbs. But emptying himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being in the likeness of men. So the action is he, is he emptied himself, and those other two ideas are explaining the manner in which he emptied himself. The next one is a comparison, in which we explain how the main idea is true by comparing it to something else. But we prove to be gentle among you. Now I'm going to explain what that looks like. As a nursing mother cares for her own children. Next one, negative positive. This is similar to alternative, but the difference is these are like two sides of the same coin. You negate one thing, and then you state it in the positive. Therefore, be careful how you walk. All right, now here's the negative positive relationship. Be, not as unwise men, negative, but as wise. You see how those are saying the same thing? Don't be unwise and be wise are like saying the same thing, but you're saying one of them negatively and one of them positively. That's how they relate to each other. The next one is kind of a junk drawer. It's called idea explanation. You have an inane idea and then an explanation that either explains the whole idea or a particular word within it. For time, kind of powering through here. And then one more is the question and answer. It's exactly what it sounds like. The author asks a question and then gives an answer. Should we sin so that grace may increase? Question. The answer is, may it never be. All right, two more relationships, and then you're at the end. The next one is what's called a concessive. This is something that seems to be contradictory, but actually strengthens the case, right? So, for example, 
did I not choose you? That seems like that would be an argument against. Oops. That seems like that would be an argument against yet one of you as a devil. But it actually strengthens the idea of I chose you knowing you were a devil. All right. And then the next one, the last one, is called a situation response. Think of this more like a scenario and then the surprising reaction to it. An unexpected event. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? I don't know what's going to happen. And then here comes the shocking event. They saw the stone had been rolled away. All right. So those are all of them. I'm going to skip over all the practice stuff, and I'll just attach it to the grace uh, center, or church center thing so that you can look at those later. All right. So here's the recap. Here's what I want you to do between now and next week. One, please email, text, call, whatever you need to do so I can help you. I'm happy to help you. Again, I know that this is foggy. Just try it. Go idea by idea. Try to group them together and use your cheat sheet on each one. But you should be able to explain what arcing is. The two-step process. Break it down. Show how they relate. You should be able to read that sheet in front of you. And you should now be ready to use that sheet to take a really sloppy stab at your first arc and bring it next week. And I'm going to arc the passage in front of you. Sound good? All right, so between now and then, attempt that little sheet in front of you. If you need another copy because you lose it, it's on the church center. And if you really want help, you want bonus extra credit, you're the overachiever, listen to Romans 6 through 8 in one sitting. Just listen to it. Preferably with something without chapter headers and all that. All right, that's it. I'll pray for us and then we'll all be dismissed. Father, uh, I pray for Grace Church. I pray, Lord, uh, for humility to be bad at something. In light of the end result, which is a deeper understanding of your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them endurance and humility to power through and that they would do all of this by reliance on your spirit and in the confidence that knowing your thoughts is pleasure. In Christ's name, amen.